Beyond the, he- Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. It's an unforgettable journey. Meeting ordinary folks who are indeed extraordinary. Discovering the music, the history, and be a witness to the transformations where civilizations meet. Join me in the heart of the Silk Road and get inspired by Xinjiang. I'm very excited today because I am about to meet one of the most outstanding Mukam artists coming from the region of Kashir, Kashgar. And as you know, it's a great combination of singing, dancing, and great music that is unique coming from the Uyghur people in Xinjiang. Surrounded by local Mukam artists, listening to the tunes that carry so much of history of Xinjiang, I could tell immediately that this is a place with fascinating stories to tell. And the trip would prove to be unforgettable. As part of the ancient Silk Road, this place, Kashir, also known as Kashgar, has been a meeting point of cultures and civilizations throughout history. More than 2,000 years ago, Zhang Qian, an outstanding envoy and explorer from Western Han Dynasty, made this place known to the rest of China. Since then, more than a few pioneering figures of China's history have made their legends related to this place. Among them, Xuanzang, a monk of ancient Tang Dynasty. It was him who brought the Buddhist teaching from ancient India to China. But he did it by successfully taking on all the unpredictables along the ancient Silk Road. Buddhism became more prevalent in China since him and later to the rest of Asia. He is so much respected that his stories became a novel, Journey to the West, one of the most popular classics known to everyone in China and Chinese all over the world. The ruins of Xuanzang's preaching podium is still there on a small hill near Kashir. In 643 AD, Xuanzang reached Sha Che on his return journey. He preached Buddhism here for three days. Most of the townspeople embraced it. Professor Xu Jianying, a history scholar who has been researching about Xuanzang, took me on a brief walk in the local community near the ancient ruins. He knows them the best. Xuanzang is an eminent monk in Tang Dynasty. When he returned from India, he got so many Buddhist scriptures and became a very famous Buddhist. So when he came here, the local people received him with grand ceremony. I've always wondered, Professor, what can be the best way to preserve the characteristics and personalities of cultures, of religion, and also of different ethnic groups, while at the same time, make sure, as it should be, it is a harmonious family that we are talking about here in China. 
Yes, how to better protect multi-ethnic culture is a shared concern. As far as I know, Xinjiang also attaches importance to keeping traditions while developing culture and tourism. For example, in this region, its original characteristics, the way of life of the local people, their cultural beliefs, and some historical relics are being preserved as much as possible in this neighborhood, rather than being demolished and rebuilt. There are some new experiments too. They have restored the house using traditional techniques and renovated the inside with modern materials so that it can accommodate the modern tourists who come for a break or even to stay. This way of introducing changes not only protects the cultural characteristics of the local ethnic groups, but also combines well with the modern economy, while demonstrating the features of the Silk Road. This is a really interesting place where we are standing today. Right behind us is the ruins of the podium on which Xuanzang, one of the most eminent monks in China's history, preached during the Tang Dynasty. Right below us, we are standing on the local family's roof. And looking around, we see residents of the local Uyghur people. What is it like for you, Professor Xu, giving all these elements coming together all at the same time? Indeed, we get emotional when we stand here to see the history is integrated with the reality. Our ancestors made great efforts to bring from overseas first-class culture on the Silk Road back to China. The integration of foreign and local cultures resulted in the very colorful and rich culture of the Silk Road and Xinjiang as it is now. So every time we visit here, we feel a mission to better protect those heritages, to let them better inspire the future and our children. We need to cherish both the present and the historical relics left by our ancestors. <laughs> this is the Livestock Bazaar in Kashi. It is one of the biggest free markets for livestock in Asia, where locals have been trading yaks, goats, donkeys, and other animals for centuries. And here, I met some traders. He successfully bought another one. A peek and walk of this local market, that is if you are not knocked down by a running bull, gives you some hint about how trade has been bringing so much energy and synergy along the Silk Road.
Today, this market is more hustling and bustling than ever before because it is in Kashi, now a crucial cross point of the Belt and Road Initiative. Jumping into a car not far from the market, one could already see giant mountains on the horizon. So impressive that you just want to remember every one of their details. But I know I have to digest all these scenes ASAP as soon as possible because another impressive project is right in front of me. The Karakoram Highway, also known as China-Pakistan Friendship Highway, links China and Pakistan through the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, or CPEC, a key project of BRI, the Belt and Road Initiative. 2023 marks the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative. Over the past decade, BRI has evolved from infrastructure building to green and high-quality development. The long-dormant road has seen a resurgence, said Mushahid Hussein Sayed from Pakistan, who I met on the trip. He's an ardent supporter of CPEC, together with many in China and Pakistan. Senator Hussein, what a trip. My God, I'm so thrilled <laughs> and excited. Yeah. China-Pakistan Friendship Highway close to home and on the real Silk Road in the modern version. It's yes, amazing. Yes, indeed. We are actually standing in a historical cross. We are reliving the history, actually. So many buses packing by. They are full of tourists, you know. Yes. They told us, <laughs> yes, they told us actually this is the least busy hour of the day. If it's in early morning or during the rush hours, so many tourist buses gonna go come and go. We could hardly hear one another. <laughs> <laughs> that shows the hunger for travel, the curiosity, the zest for learning, mm -hmm. understanding each other Absolutely. on both sides. This is juncture bringing the history and modern times yes. together. 2000 years old and now on the scale that is happening, yes. this. China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, the BRI, the Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah. Such a huge scale in the 21st century. Even looking at this road, this is like uh, 40 years old. It has been a very start of linking China and Pakistan through modern roads. You know, a lot of blood has been shed in this road. Wow. Chinese and Pakistani building this very difficult highway, cutting through these mountain ranges, and putting this road together. It's amazing, but it's such a busy road. Yeah, and meanwhile, if you look around, it's so beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, the trees, yes. different kinds, and the river running through. Close to nature. It's amazing, it's so it's exotic. Amazing. Yeah, I don't want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But having said that, I have to work. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about what we have seen and what it means to all of us. You look at the history, people try to create their way of interacting with one another. At that time, it was rather a loose organization, isn't it? I mean, just traders went to places that they wanted to Imagine trade. those days, people going on horseback, monks Camels. traveling on camel, yes. <laughs> ideas, knowledge, walking. culture, you know, yeah. physically on foot. Right. Took months and years to visit each other. We met so many people, and some of them are walking over. Yes, they were. <laughs> Hello. Assalamu alaikum. All right, I think they're on their way yeah, yeah, to the yeah, next exactly. party, huh? It seems yes. everybody bringing their instruments and, uh, <laughs> you know. So this is something that would take them about hours. Now we'll just be maybe 15 or 20 minutes That's away. Exactly. Yeah? Mm. I'm so glad that I have 
a travel companion like <laughs> Senator you. Hussein. It's been great fun. Oh, and still not over yet. <laughs> yes, we are on our road right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Let's go. With the flourishing interactions China has with others, thanks to the Belt and Road Initiative, Kashi is becoming ever more popular with tourism, transportation, trade, and cultural exchanges. The locals are also becoming ever busier, like this family running a small cafe at the old city in the center of Kashi. It was Grandpa who built the house 30 years ago. In ordinary days, the wife and the eldest son make the call of the cafe. This is one of the first cafes in Kashi. Cafes before are parts of Western restaurants. We started to serve and only serve coffee in 2016. Papa said, "Why don't you open it on the first floor of our house?" I said it would take over 100,000 yuan to open a cafe, and if you do so in this alley, how would you attract people? I was worried. He said it's fine if no one comes. We can brew coffee for ourselves. Mm. I think it's a good idea. Listen, whether business or not, we are going to enjoy coffee anyway. <laughs> that is the spirit, isn't it? I believe in your skills. I had coffee in many places, like Beijing, Hangzhou, and Shanghai, and I found our coffee better. It is as good as the coffee of Starbucks in Shanghai. In recent years, more people traveling over to Kashgar. Oh, we just opened a branch in Urumuchi. My father runs the store, which is located in the Grand Bazaar of Urumuchi. We want to open another branch in Kashi. The next shop will show more ethical features. I'll come back next time to see your new shop here. <laughs> the local culture also flourishes in recent years. When people from all over the world come to Xinjiang, they want to learn and be inspired by the local culture. This makes the Mukam artists extremely busy especially for use of tour Haiti, who we met earlier already. One could hardly forget the way he plays on with his favorite instrument, satar. He is the national representative, inheritor of Mukam. In 2005, UNESCO approved China's Xinjiang Uyghur Mukam as a masterpiece of the oral and intangible heritage of humanity. Today, it is also included in China's national list of intangible cultural heritage. Yusuf was born in the 1950s and grew up in Shachu. His grandmother and father are all Mukam artists. He started to learn Mukam when he was a child and devoted almost all his time to it while nurturing talent among his followers like these two. Uh, my name is Yusuf Tuhati. My parents are also artists. 
This instrument is a satire. The first chapter of 12 Mukam begins with a satire. Satire means the beginning. My name is Torsen Ayupu. I started learning this instrument when I was a teenager. I am now 37 years old. Tuerson Ayopu's father is a friend of mine. We went to Beijing in 2008 and obtained a certificate of the 12 Mukam for intangible cultural heritage, a national certificate. When I was five or six years old, my father and Yusuf played instruments together. They would play instruments to wake me up. In 2014, we played at the Cultural Center all summer long. We have participated in many national, provincial, regional and county-level events. In 2014, I played at the Cultural Center with his father every day. At that time, we both played musical instruments together, studied the 12 Mukam together. After his dad passed away, I was devastated. His father was even better at playing the 12 Mukam than me. Music helps us when we are struggling. When we are happy, it's the best one we have with us to express ourselves to our beloved ones. My name is Saidi Amar Tashir. I used to be in Karchuga County. In 2015, I started learning to play the instrument from Yusuf Tuherti. This instrument is a ajik, which accompanies the music. Without ajik, the music wouldn't sound as good. Why the music goes to our heart, just like that? The 12 Mukam brings us more moral guidance, and it has a great impact on us. There are no college graduates or educated people among us. They all learn and memorize the music by themselves. Sometimes it takes a month or two to memorize, sometimes even longer. The 12 Mukam, if each person plays one part, he will never be able to finish it in a lifetime. These folk artists also learn their lyrics by themselves, and they always find time to play together with others. So many people love the music. Many coming from all over China come here to listen to your music. Since 2005, they have been performing in different venues, going to other provinces and cities, such as Suzhou or in Zhejiang province, among others. When I went to Luoyang to perform, many foreigners were also attracted by the music we played. If you were to explain why Mukam has become an important part of your life with one sentence, what would you say? Why? The lyrics of each part of 12 Makam express moral aspects. They're about life. The content of the lyrics covers the unity of each ethnic group, and a moral aspect expresses a person's growth. To sum it up in one sentence, I like the 12 Mukam very much. My parents are also folk artists. When I was very young, my parents taught me how to play 12 mukam. 12 mukam is very important to me. The nature, the people, the culture, the music. And this 
is only a glimpse of Xinjiang today, as it embraces another shining moment in history, thanks to the energy brought about by the Belt and Road Initiative. At the end of my trip, I sat down with friends I met on the trip, with the backdrop of the gorgeous mountains and shining rivers, and we just can't help from talking about the transformations we have seen here. Senator Hussein, Professor Xu, what a pleasure. Look how far away we have traveled in Xinjiang. But you know, it's so hard for me just to say one or two things that's most impressive during the trip because right now when I reflect back on this trip, there's still so many faces that I saw, so many stories that I listened to. So tell me more about how Xinjiang has been changing. This sounds like a stereotype question, but I think when I ask the real experts, <laughs> it's not. That Xinjiang is now playing a more pivotal role in uh, the connectivity of the Belt and Road Initiative. It is the core area of the Silk Road Economic Belt. So it is connecting not just with my country, Pakistan, which is just across the mountains, by the way, 300 <laughs> kilometers from here. And I think a crow flight would be 30, 40 minutes, you know. Yes. And so you're talking of Central Asian countries, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Russia, you know, so, so that, and that is a connectivity then further on with Europe also. And that, I think, is a very key role of Xinjiang, which is, it is playing. And then the other one is uh, we're talking of uh, the ancient Silk Road being revived. So it's uh, a unity and diversity, its own culture, their customs, their language, and their traditions that also mesh together with this uh, new globalization. You know, how the historical perspective is combined with really everybody's life. Over the last 20 years, I've been to Xinjiang every year. My trips have been frequent, sometimes twice, five times, or even over seven to eight times a year. Great changes have taken place in Xinjiang, which I witnessed. Infrastructure, for example, have improved greatly. A lot of highways have been built in both northern and southern Xinjiang. The railway loop circling the Tarim Basin was completed and opened last year. Xinjiang now has bullet trains too. Many schools and hospitals have been built. All these have brought great changes to the lives of the people in Xinjiang. People used to wear more traditional clothes in monotonous colors. Now you can see the clothing is getting more vibrant. To add to those, I believe the biggest change is in people's minds. The people of Xinjiang are getting richer and happier in recent years. They are covered by the social security system now, and they also have pensions. People are getting more confident. Many elderly are traveling in other provinces, and some are traveling from southern Xinjiang to northern areas, and vice versa. Travel is booming in Xinjiang, which is unprecedented. That is also evidence of the dramatic changes in people's lives. I always wondered, how could it happen? So many different kinds of religions, so many different kinds of peoples, which later turned to be ethnic groups in different countries, and also so many historical events taking place here and along the route that we traveled this time. 
Well, I think even for me, it's a voyage of discovery this time, given the profound changes that we are seeing. For thousands of years by monks, which went from here to the south to which is now Pakistan, or Marco Polo passed through this region also, or the Mongol invaders came from the other side. So all kinds of activity uh, this has been witnessing. And now I think we are reliving history in a very modern 21st century manner, because that famous Silk Road which was there is being revived in a very modern 21st century way through connectivity and uh, through these modern linkages and linking it with this um, President Xi has already launched this global civilization initiative last March and I was there on 16th March listening to the speech online because it was a high-level dialogue. Uh, we can see that it's all about uh, bringing people together through connectivity and through respect for civilizations because each civilization has been enriched by the presence of different civilizations. And that is the key thing. It's not about the clash of civilizations, it is about connectivity and cooperation among civilizations. A more inclusive approach. Thank you so much, Professor Xu and Senator Hussein.